So the guy goes back aft, and the captain says, No, you idiot. The forward quarter built. <laughs> God, I love that one. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so true. Well, you're damn right it is. I mean, picture this guy at the Morris lamp, halfway to the court nozzle. <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture that. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Macmillan Men, the show where we talk about the Amazon Prime series Patriot. I'm Luke Burbank, um, and right over there is my friend Andrew Walsh, who similarly does not know the difference between a court nozzle and a, uh, what was the other bit of esoterica that Leslie was sharing? Some sort Whatever of a flange, that. but I will say this. I, d- kind of- I didn't say I don't know the difference. I said, if you have to ask, I'm not going to tell you, was my Yeah, no. Response. That's why when we talk about these things, I just go, <laughs> amazing. Right. Not unlike Tom Tavner <laughs> Hilarious. trying to play along. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a fun scene because it's a really, I think Terry O'Quinn does such a great job of of playing a person. It's almost like... I mean, I guess they have to know the dialogue going in. That's how these things work. But it's almost like it's almost better if Terry O'Quinn doesn't know what uh, what uh, uh, Kurtwood Smith is going to say, because then his trying to sound like he knows what he's talking about when it's complete gibberish to him is would be even more authentic. It, it, the, the scene works really well. Well, there is um, something weird about the way he says hilarious. Like he almost right. like John almost asks it like a question. Like, are, yeah, are, we're joking here. Right, exactly. Like because he's uh, so in over his head. By the uh, way, quick. Season- wait, hold. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Set us up, and then I have a quick question about that scene. Okay, this is season one, episode nine. Dick Cheney. As I mentioned to you, Andrew, off air, because of the vagaries of Amazon Prime, I watched a solid ten to fifteen minutes of episode ten last night and was taking copious notes. And then was very more confused than normal, which I'm usually semi-confused about everything. And then went to double-check something and realized I was watching the wrong episode. It would have been conceivable that we would have convened this this here episode of Macmillan Men, and I would have literally been talking about the wrong episode. How far do you think we would have gotten before we figured it out? I've been uh, kind of... I guess teasing out that alternative universe <laughs> of this podcast. I wonder how long we would have been into the show before I'm like, wait a second. Because I think it would have started with me being insecure. You would have started setting right. up like what the scenes right. are. And then I'd be like, how do I not remember that? I just rewatched it right. yesterday and I took a bunch of notes. But I would immediately think it was my fault yes. and start thinking that I'd watched the wrong one probably. Right. So that would have just added to the confusion. Well, luckily, I got on the right track. And here we are. Episode 9. Dick. Cheney. So what were you about to, what question were you going to ask? You know, when Tom shows up as John's dad at the duck hunt and Leslie says, oh, you're a tugger. Tom doesn't have any idea what Leslie's talking about. Don't you think John should have at least told his dad that his persona is tugboat captain? How did that get lost in the shuffle? So many things are getting lost in the, in the shuffle um, for John now because he's He's just at his absolute, 
I mean, he 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 sort of hits his limit, and then it turns out he has a little bit more room, and then he gets to that limit as each episode goes by. So yeah, I mean, yeah, obvs. He should have done that. He probably didn't. It's lucky that Leslie decides to clarify what Tugger means. Yes. Because if he would have just left it at Tugger, what's Tom do with that information? Yeah, no, so nothing you're a good. Tugger, full stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I don't want to share a tent with Leslie necessarily <laughs> yeah, right. at this point. I don't know what that means, but um but but yeah, no, I mean it's just one of many ways in which John's whole thing is really starting to kind of break down. Um and we'll see that throughout this episode of just like basically little loose ends that he's just not able to keep. In fact, at one point I believe they call them either loose ends or loose threads mm-hmm. and his dad is like how many loose threads do you have? Because he's got Stephen Chu. He's got he forgets to kill Birdbath. He's got Ichabod all over him. Although Tom's taking some of the heat off of that because Tom is similarly fascinated with Ichabod's whole <laughs> weird ass deal. Yet when he's challenged on it by Ichabod, he's like, hey, "What's your real name?" <laughs> Which yeah. is, of course is a callback to Ichabod yeah. being upset that everybody thinks it's a nickname because he looks like Ichabod Crane. But um, Unlike John, Tom doesn't really try to smooth it out. He's just like, yeah. Nope. <laughs> he leans like, in. He's fine with it. He's then, like, yeah, you look like a headless horseman. And later, when they're doing the fire, he's like, oh, do you want to start? Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, you know, you seem like a spooky tail kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and he says, uh, I think literally you have a headless vibe during that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the episode opens on more of this kind of debrief video from Tom. Uh, and there's a kind of a little moment woven in there that I thought was funny where he's saying, basically, we're dealing with the challenges of getting things, getting things from basically point A to point B, because, of course, it really is about the structural dynamics of flow, whether you're mm-hmm. uh, the CIA or you're doing piping or you're a get. It's like and so that's that theme coming back. Tom is trying to structurally dynamic his flow and having problems. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, my next note says Numi. And the bag, uh, oh, oh, yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm on a sort of my journey with Tom is ever evolving as far as a fan of the show, and I think I sort of found some sympathy for Tom this episode because he says in the debrief video it was something the effect of it was hard to stop trying to fix it. My personally arming Iran, like he's, we're understanding more about what's driving Tom, which is that he literally takes responsibility for single handedly almost arming. Iran with a nuclear weapon and so he has this he has this intense need to try to keep fixing it and when he finds out it could be fixed through simply getting this bag back from a puppeteer he can't not go for it but it's kind of explains a little bit of why he seems to be still pushing John so hard and to a degree Edward so hard he kind of admits to that in that and it made him a little bit more human to me yeah I think during the deposition we see him completely falling on a sword and being very honest about what his motivations are he doesn't seem to be lying or trying to um, cut any corners anymore he just wants to let who's ever deposing him know exactly what happened and what his motivations are and it would appear that his his um, approach here is is pure honesty it's it does kind of contrast with the way we see him kind of holding John responsible for the situation there. And like you mentioned the, how many loose threads are out there and then John ticks them off. Well, you got this, you got the bird bath, you got the blah, 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 blah. And he lists them all off. And Tom seems somewhat irritated by John for having so many loose ends. Well, guess what? Yeah. They're not John's yeah. loose ends. Like they're Tom's right. loose ends. So it is funny. Like, and, and I think he is a complicated character like that. Like, I think he is, I think he truly loves his, his son. I think, 
think he's trying to do the right thing. I think the right thing is motivated by his true, true concern about uh, the nuclear capability in the hands of Iran. Um, but he's also human. You know, when he hears about all the problems that still need to be solved, he's still going to have an eye roll moment where he's like, Jesus Christ, how did we get ourselves into this situation? But it does seem to sort of, it, as a defender of John, we, the audience, I think are supposed to be a little irritated by him for even like tis, tis, tisking for a moment. Weird question. What's John making to be in the CIA? That's a good question. Like, yeah, what's he pulling down? How is he getting paid? Is he getting paid because is he even on the payroll right now? Because nobody knows he's on this mission. This is an illegal mission. We assume he's not getting paid from McMillan because his Social Security number is whack. (laughs) How is he like, what's his financial? I know that's low on his list of concerns, but it's high on my list of concerns. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good question. What do you make to do this? Is this 100K a year? Is it 200K? I mean, it's a lot of, you should get a lot of hazard pay. You're not interested in it, are you? You're not, you're, if the numbers are right, are you interested in picking this up? I'm just curious if I'm making enough for it. Oh, I see. You don't realize I've been in this life for. This whole podcast, this is my Macmillan men, this podcast. Like, I, I am actually an agent, and I've had to use this as a cover so that I would have kind of allegedly a day job. You're a real Chuck Barris. Exactly. He was on the other radio show that I work on, Livewire. Chuck Barris was apparently a guest years ago. Oh. And I thought, man, that would be an interesting task because it's a little up in the air, right, as to if – I know we're not talking strictly about Macmillan, about Patriot right now, but um, – but it's a little up in the air as to how many of his tall tales are true and made up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I love that movie. I think it was directed by George yeah. Clooney, by the way. Okay, so the the next kind of plot point in this episode is that Lakeman is finally interrogated by Aget, and he goes into it with a plan. Well, I have to say I was kind of I was I was sort of pleasantly surprised at how much of of I started the episode by saying that you know John's got a lot of loose threads and he's forgetting to kill birdbath and all this but i do think he actually stands up pretty well in this interrogation first of all the whole placing of the structural dynamics of flow book makes sense that's his cover story for for uh, why he wasn't at the dinner in luxembourg um and he he, the whole left-handed thing which really which really pwned him when it came to drawing a circle for the crew of mcmillan it actually seemed to pay off there because he's drawing the address, writing the address with his opposite hand. Uh, and and he has what I think of as a kind of good cover story, which is like admitting to somewhat of a lie, um, but not the real lie. Admitting that he's in over his head about McMillan, uh, you know, piping. And and so it's sort of like I feel like I, I feel like he got through the interview better than I would have expected him to. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. It's a really impressive moment. We see him flexing something that traditionally he's not so great at, which is the people side of these things. Uh, and massaging a story and knowing how to lie. He's been a pretty terrible liar. I mean, the fact that Leslie admit Leslie tells him that Leslie's dad was a tugboat captain, then it's John's turn to say something. It's like, yeah, both my parents are tugboat captains, which is just like literally the worst, worst answer you yes. can give. Like, he's not good on his feet. He clearly came in here with a plan. He knew what his story was. He's got um, Edward literally running across town to make sure that the alibi with the library book is in place. Uh, and also, I couldn't help but to think, like, 
oh, they set us up for this because I, I love this scene, by the way, this, the, the scene between him and Agat. And we finally we finally see a win for John. But Agat is also yeah. like um, just uh, it's captivating as always. And this cat and mouse thing going on. And it's like basically like Rochambeau part two between the two of them. And mm-hmm. I think that they set us up with this really long extended Rochambeau in the last episode. And now we're seeing the real Rochambeau, the one that really counts, which is those two staring each other down and uh even if she believes he's lying he just needs to not stumble in his lies yeah um there's one little thing this is the person who's uh you know works in audio broadcasting in me but i'm very stressed out by how far a gets voice recorder is from john it's a very long yeah. table <laughs> yeah that's not how any of this works yeah. you that's like a very that's a very like movie or tv thing where you just you casually plays the voice recorder right by you and you assume it's going to pick up the person who's mm-hmm. 11 feet away. If you or I were in charge of this, we would be, that thing would be in the exact middle of the table. We would be doing a level check. Mm-hmm. Can I get your name? Can I get what you had for breakfast? Mm-hmm. We're we're really, really making sure that the levels are okay on that recording. Are you going to be playing any drops that. during this uh, interview? Yes. Okay, can I get a level on your drop? What are you going to use? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you. Um, uh so uh, I uh, so John gets through the the interrogation pretty well, and then we have a smile alert. We have a John Tavner smile alert because when Dennis delivers the news that Alice is in town and where she's going to be, we get a big smile out of John. He's excited by this big smile. But did you see the tiny tease of a smile when a get asks him what is your relationship with Dennis, and he says coworker long long pause while he thinks about it and then you just see the tiniest bit of a smile and he says <laughs> friend and it's just like it's just there a tiny bit i think they love doing yeah. that yeah so he meets up with his coworker and friend in the parking lot he finds out where uh, alice is um i had a question uh, and he's obviously going to go on to find her we'll talk about that in a minute um i so we cut then to luxembourg where uh cool rick is is uh, going into a police station and he busts out song for kicking ass for my brother best song for kicking ass for my brother. I, I might have gotten confused there. Is he going into the police station to lose his tail? Because he basically does a kind of a sort of stretching exercise and then he goes running through the police station and then basically comes out the back end. What am I what am I missing here? Why did he need to go into the police station? I think to lose the tail. And I think also Okay. And I think we as the viewer, that's supposed to be kind of a reveal when we see him stretching, which I think also is funny because the only other time we see him stretch is when he admits that he's fake stretching so that he can check out hotties oh, yeah. at the gym. <laughs> and now we see oh, him right. start stretching, and we're like, What are you doing? And then he just like hightails it out of there it's a very cinematic moment like again i I don't know if like that's exactly how people act in real life but i love the setup on that yeah well i hey by the way just to jump back to the john thing really quick the the interrogation it's interesting because he is in a way implicating edward he's talking about an attache who came through yeah he had a weird badge he was wearing a strange outfit he was he's sort of throwing He's sort of throwing I don't th- I don't think he's literally trying to throw Edward under the bus. I think what he realizes is that there won't be repercussions for Edward because and maybe Edward's not really there. Edward's not on her radar. He's not trying to literally sick her on him, but he is throwing up a distraction about this kind of other shady character who was there who used his phone. I mean, he's basically describing Edward, though. It's really genius, I think, because he's using some of Edward's flubs. 
um, to it's like jujitsu. It's like dumb brother jujitsu, right? He's using some yeah. of the flubs because remember a get. I know you know this, but just to say it, like a get kind of surprises Edward in the airport, right? And interviews him, I think, in some sort of public space there. And he so Edwards it up, right? And I think he talks about his badge, and he's still obsessed with being an attache. So John, and I'm assuming John came up with this plan, not Tom. John kind of is like, okay, I can use this. I can say there was some weird guy who who would also know Alice, right? Like, oh, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, although if I tease that out, I get really confused because then does that bring John even more into focus as far as the relationship between Alice and Edward if she tries to pursue that? But I think it's – yeah, I think I, – I love it when he's like, yeah, he kept going on about some weird badge. Right. But then the question – but then the question for me is, is – I mean since I'd forgotten actually that she had made contact with Edward, I mean – is is he potentially endangering Edward by 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 focusing a gets attention on him? I don't think endangering Edward, but you're running the risk of if she teases this out, it will put John back into focus again. Because Edward really mm-hmm. hasn't done anything wrong, but right, it's kind of more of a stalling tactic, hoping that he's buying time here so they can complete the mission. Because if she interviews Edward again. And then she says, well, what is your relationship with Alice? And then he says, "It's she's my sister-in-law. Then she says, well, who's your brother? Then we're in trouble again. So I don't think Edward can get in trouble because Edward didn't do anything. But it is a way of just getting through this interview. It doesn't seem like it's a long-term solution. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so then Alice uh, is at the hotel John's uh, excited to go see her. Uh, she and Aget are like such homies at this point that they're in one of those kind of uh, uh, adjoining rooms where you can. I always have that. Always makes me nervous when I'm in a hotel. I always really make sure that that door is locked from my side. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm, it's like too. I don't. The chances of me being next to a murderer at the Holiday Inn who's just waiting for the chance to come through that shared door. It's a low level possibility. But there's something about having a kind of not very secure or very permanent mm-hmm. barrier between you and some total randos that's always a little unsettling yeah because a lot of staying in a hotel i think is the um is about appearances you and i were talking about this a little bit last week when we were when we were traveling around staying in hotels and and john hodgman talks about this in his book that it's like well it's about the it's about the perception that i'm the first person who's ever been in this room yes. and you also want the perception of of um, privacy and the fact that this is this this room is my castle now for a while, um, and so when you see that door and you can hear somebody on the other side of it, it kind of breaks that that wall a bit. Yes, that kind of cognitive dissonance that we are uh, employing when we're in that hotel room. Well, they're actually going full. They're going for the full spread. They have the door open <laughs> between the rooms, yeah. so you can just go back and forth. And, uh, of course, some – and Tom figures out this is a good piece of, I guess, spycraft or whatever you want to call it from Tom. Goes, knocks on Alice's door under a, a kind of a um, pretext of telling – of being at the wrong room and then whispers to her basically, get out. And he also intercepts John before John gets there because that would have been a really bad scene. Um, now, here's the thing. We Alice, never really see him uh, doing that. That's one thing where the show, you, usually the show will kind of show you if if Tom is planning something like that. In this case, it was really kind of a you don't even see what happened. And then he just later says, I followed you. He was following John because so, he kind of saw that this is a disaster in the making. I'm not 
Right. I don't know if that's the best explanation in the world, but I guess I'll accept it. Right. So um, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about that is I th- you see this – I I read this look on Alice's face to sort of be, oh, have I been getting played this whole time? Like, did I get mm-hmm. – like, has this all been intentional from a get? And of course it's not. It's just one of those weird dumb luck things. Um, a get doesn't know who Alice is any more than Alice knew who a get was. But in this moment, I think Alice feels like she's really effed up. Like she became this mark. Um, and uh, so she goes into the room while it gets in the shower uh, and is sort of rummaging lightly through her stuff. I was thinking she was going to maybe steal some of the stuff or somehow basically like hamstring a get's investigation but she just kind of gets information and gets out does a get know that alice's first name is alice and that one of the major kind of mysterious people in her investigation is also named alice good question i'm going to assume she knows her name is alice because um they spent so much time together in the rental car and and now they're they're door open room buddies so, but Alice is such a common name that my guess would be yeah. that she's not putting it together because, like, what are the chances right. that the Alice Taylor slash Alice Tavner she's looking for is the Alice that she just bumped into? I mean, that's just I I would imagine that she would never put that together because it would be so far fetched. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's fair enough. Um, so Alice now knows. I wondered also, so watching Alice's face as she's reading the documents against John, where it's like murder. I'm wondering if she's like, is she, uh, she's obviously ride or die with her husband, but I wonder if it's like, does she assume like that that's, that it was because of professional reasons that he had to kill someone or does she assume that it's a lie or does she assume that her husband has turned into a murderer? Like, I wonder what goes through your mind when you read that there are murder charges against your husband. Yeah, I think that that's something that she's struggling with. I think she sees that as a shock. I think you're supposed to think, well, yeah, she knows that her husband is, you know, a spy of some sort and probably has to do some unsavory things. But also, you know, we lie to ourselves or we tell ourselves various stories to kind of deal with things in relationships. And I think seeing it right there in black and white that and again, if he was doing something in the in the course of regular work, if everything's going right, you shouldn't be as a as an agent of the government, you shouldn't be written up on murder charges. So I think that she's right. taken aback and, and put off by this, to say the least. Right. At the worst, he's a murderer. At the least, he's not doing a great job. Right. In that moment. Yeah. Right. When yeah. the murdering comes in, that'd be that would be low job performance right. uh, for him. Um, so Stephen Chu uh, is is back at the scene of his pushing and he is Stephen Chu is really piecing it together now. Uh, obviously, um, uh, and, and that's going to be a big thread in this episode. And then Birdbath comes storming out of the death shed, mad because he's not dead. I love that scene of just like you know, if there's such a thing as being a good actor as far as how you're walking, I just mm-hmm. love that shot. It's just like one shot of Birdbath as he just comes out of that weird building and goes past the camera, and you can tell he's just ticked off. Yeah, you know. I know that uh, the actor who played Birdbath uh, tweeted at us. I don't know if he's still listen- yeah. listening to this. I'm just going to assume he's not because what I'm going to say is kind of ass kissing, and I don't want that to be the anybody to think that that's why I'm saying it. But um, I, should I, I just, tell him? Should I forward him this file? No, don't. Done? I'm going to say something nice about you. I don't like people to hear me say nice things about people. But I just think that like his um, his acting in this 
I, I wouldn't say it's underrated or underappreciated because the whole show is underappreciated. I don't right. know how much people talk about his own performance. But I went on this whole thing when I was watching him. There are so many subtleties in, the, in his character, especially now that it's kind of opening up and we're learning more about his backstory and we're realizing that he's way more complicated than we first thought. And there are scenes where he is still a man who wants to die. He's still a man who is angry that um, he's alive and the person that he was trying to get to kill him failed him. But he's also we're learning kind of a, a, a guy with a good soul and, and good intentions. And I feel like somebody like him, I started thinking, I wonder what else he's been in and I haven't looked it up yet, but I could see people casting him in much more just kind of straightforward, more, um, more kind of typical roles. He even says the character says, yeah, I have a dumb face. People think I'm dumb because of my face. And I could just see him playing, I don't know, grumpy, low level police chiefs. Can you be a low level Mm -hmm. police chief? I don't know. Just like, you Mm -hmm. know, I guess a captain or something like that. Or maybe somebody like one person who is like uh, sitting around a table of criminals and has a few lines or something. But his performance is there's just so much going on there. And me as a viewer, um, because of the way the show has set you up to kind of dislike him and, and, and puts him at odds with John, when you see these tender moments that are now just emerging between them, it they're really, really effective. And he has to really walk a tightrope on because he hasn't totally abandoned the idea that I'm still kind of pissed at John for not killing me. Right. And he does that thing where he's trying to, you know, sort of shake John down for money. Uh, Presumably he was going to use the money to give to the people that he was trying to give his life insurance policy to. But it's sort of like they're on a duck hunt. He's handing him a piece of paper. I want 400,000 in this account. And it's to, to say the thing that I've already said about three times on this show. And I say all the time on our other show, TBTL. That's not how any of this works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, they can't just get you for I mean, Tom Tavner is running into problems over seven hundred thousand dollars. We can't just we can't just find almost a half million and put it in your account from this duck hunt, bro. Um, you, you feel like that's just kind of, you know, uh, and I think I even wrote this down somewhere. There's a line uh, that where Birdbath, I think it's Bird, Birdbath and John both are just sort of like. Neither of them know how to go forward in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a real close. I think there's a there's a, a kind of a weird bond of friendship and a bond between them because they're both people who just literally don't know what their next step is supposed to be. Yeah. Leslie knows what his next step is to continue to neg Lawrence and call him his number <laughs> yeah. two. And, you know, cool. Rick knows what his next step is to some degree. And it's like everybody knows the journey they're on and, and sort of have they have goals in mind. I'll be them. Maybe simple. Dennis is to probably just get to a point where he can do like 50 bar dips in his basement. You know, there's probably exercise related. Uh, but Birdbath and John literally don't know what to do with their lives. And that probably, I think, makes them close. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's explicit right there. He, he says it. He's like, I guess I don't know either. And that's why I like I, I um, as somebody who's seen um, the next season, too. Like, I, I'm excited for the birth of this phase of their relationship. Yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> I love, I mean, look, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how great the show is and the show is great. I do think every once in a while there's something funny, like they invite the security guard on the duck hunt. 
Like, what is the what are the parameters? Who gets to come on the McMillan Men Duck Hunt? Gregory HR guy gets yeah, to come. and the HR guy, big, right? Like, why you would think all the HR people would have their own retreat, like, right? Right. It's a little. It's like, oh, you know, who gets to come on the. You gets to come on this thing. People that we need to move the plot forward. Yeah. Which that That's I got to say, <laughs> that does not bother me at all. Like for some reason, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of happening in a magical land where two strangers yes. Rochambeau for a solid five mm-hmm. minutes, and that's just acceptable. So I am totally fine with that. But I do have one very, very nitpicky thing about this duck hunt, which is so John just brings Tom along as his dad on this duck hunt and everything's fine. This is the same character that had to awkwardly embrace John in a hallway so that Leslie wouldn't see his face. Remember that? It was like, I don't know, five yeah. episodes ago. He's like, oh, he can't right. see my face because I've kind of got a, 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 I think he even implies like people know what my face looks like because I'm a high up in the, you know, in the world of intelligence. So they do that really yeah. long, weird hug. If it's okay that Tom can play John's dad named Tom and John, why not introduce him that way to Leslie in the hallway? Maybe they just panicked and maybe things have just gotten so out of control they're now improvising. But that didn't – it seemed like they made a point of it earlier on and now have totally kind of forgotten that point at this point. Yeah, you're right. That's I hadn't thought of that. You're totally right. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're just – they're flying so sort of by the seat of their pants now that – and I guess, I mean, really underlying Tom being there is this idea that Tom is going to somehow be able to get Leslie to reconsider his opinion on John and mm-hmm. and keep him on the travel team. Obviously, the Dick Cheney, the Dick Cheney option is very low. It's it's like plan Z and a half for them where, where they will, of course, end up. But, yeah, you're right. That's a good point because it's like, you know. And also maybe the idea was that for his dad to be in that hotel room randomly in Luxembourg would have mm-hmm. been way weirder than his dad being on a duck hunt in the States. Uh, that also, again, if I just want to keep trying to throw them slightly the benefit of the doubt. Uh, speaking of Gregory and HR, I love the scene of Gregory and Ichabod. I love the, the Ichabod character is is so great. Um, I love Gregory says... Um, uh, what do you know about John? And the Nicobod's response is so great. Mum's the word. Yeah. At this point. It's just such a Nicobod response. Do you want to listen to it? I wanted to see if we could play maybe yeah. a, a few different um, lines of dialogue because the, the conversation between John and Tom, I think, is interesting, too. The way they, they we start to see the similarities between them and their style of speaking. But um, before we get to that, here we are. Uh, still, you know, they're all duck hunting. HR guy is sitting on a log with Ichabod. They're looking out at the lake, and this is the conversation. What do you know about John, Ichabod? Mum's the word. <laughs> At this point. <laughs> what does that mean? Nothing. But you said mum's the word. Sure. Then you said nothing. Sure. Oh, that's confusing. What does that mean? (laughs) We'll see. I love the earnestness and straightforwardness of the HR guy. Well, that's confusing. 
He just said he always he's a straight yeah. shooter. He's great. He's actually kind of the moral compass of the show in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. or at least just, you know, he's sort of he's one person who just stands for honesty and doing things the right way. And, you know, he's sort of he's a great character. I love like Ichabod. is like a guy in a poker game who has like a jack two offsuit and the flop comes and there's a two. He's got a pair of twos. He thinks he's sitting on this huge hand like he lied about college. And he has no mm-hmm. idea that he's like drawing dead. His hand is, he thinks he's like, the, he's the key to this whole thing. And it's like, he's such a bit player in it. It's so funny to watch the way this character sort of sits on that information. Yet it's his lies that John is ingeniously using to uh, kind of pass the interview yeah. with a get, you know, I, yeah. I falsified no. my education a little bit. I beefed up my resume. I'm in over my head. I'm, I got fired today or I'm about to be fired. I can't remember how he puts it. Can I go back to the boat scene now? This is actually not yeah. back to this is a uh, cutting forward. Just a couple of scenes there. Um, still duck hunting. And this is Leslie and Tom on the boat. This is a pretty long scene, but I mean, again, as kind of a fan of mammoth esque, dialogue Mm -hmm. i just love this i mean we see how similar they are in the way they talk and like i'm gonna ring my bell every time they refer to each other i don't think they ever say a sentence without saying the other person's name i love it john's a good one well i don't mean good you know what i mean they're they're different well the other one must be quite the fuck up you don't mind my saying You know what, Leslie? I do mind. Hmm. You're saying. And I'll tell you why. All airs, Tom. You're reading John wrong, Leslie. How so, Tom? (laughs) He's a terrific kid. You'd be glad to know him, Leslie, if you knew him. I do, Tom. I'm afraid you don't, Leslie. (laughs) Well... Leslie. Yeah... Tell me about your son. And then it goes, I mean, this is a really long scene. I could do that all day, but I, I do love the way they talk. I don't even think I started it necessarily in the best part of the banter. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I feel like that conversation, too, I, uh, well, okay, one thing. I was a little surprised. I guess Tom's not going to do that. He's, he understands the implications. But, like, if you're trying to share about your son, who is your real son, and how he is he's underestimated and, and misunderstood. And you also have put him in harm's way as the father. Like, I assume Tom has a lot of complicated feelings about what he's had to put his son through. And you're sharing a version of that with someone. And the guy goes, basically, what a giant fuck up your son mm-hmm. is. No offense. I'm amazed Tom doesn't just reach over and strangle him or <laughs> yeah. push him out of the boat or literally just kill him and dump his body in the water. Like, I could see, I mean, Tom is also hanging by a bit of a thread. Like, it could be a very triggering thing to say, but he doesn't respond that way. I mean, he's not happy about it, but he doesn't resort to physical violence. Yeah, it's an interesting gambit, too, to bring Tom on this. I mean, it really is just to be like, I guess their plan is, I don't know, maybe you could, like, Leslie hates me. Maybe you can bro down with Leslie and then put in a good word for me, which, you know, it doesn't work. And a couple of scenes later, when they finally have their breakfast, by the way, quick question about yeah. that. So yeah. Tom, Tom has this idea of uh, inviting Leslie to breakfast, and he kind of describes it as the optimistic meal, although he doesn't quite use that word. And he talks about breakfast in the same way we saw Leslie talk about breakfast a few uh, episodes ago. Did 
John brief Tom on yes. Leslie's attitudes. So John didn't tell Tom that Tom is supposed right. to be a tugboat captain, but he did say, but I actually, I could see, I could totally see a scene where he just mumbles, talk about breakfast a lot. <laughs> like I could see him saying yeah. something like that. And then Tom just taking it in that direction. But it could, I could also the- see just that Tom shares uh, Leslie's feelings about breakfast. The reason I think it was discussed is because when they get back in the tent, uh, John and Tom are in the tent. He goes, did you do the breakfast thing? Oh, I didn't remember that. Okay. That, that I, or I totally missed that. that it, okay. That makes me think it was a plan. Like that was kind of their ace in the hole was – and the, the the look of delight on Leslie's face that somebody else shares his mm-hmm. intense views on breakfast is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. He's like the it's like the happiest that you'll see Leslie other than when he's getting promoted back to being the boss. Like just to see someone else who loves breakfast. But I the 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 sort of series of events that I invented in my own mind was yeah, John probably forgot to mention that his dad's supposed to be a, a tugger. And then at some point later, maybe when they were I don't know if if a night has passed or not, but at some point he and Tom were together again. And he mentions the the breakfast thing. Like you said, it could have been as simple as just that's right. he likes to talk about breakfast. Because it's after the breakfast. He actually has the breakfast with them. And that's yes. when he says, can you give my boy his job back or whatever? And, and Leslie says no. And then he says, yeah, breakfast yeah. didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John's and playing cards again or practicing his card tricks. Yes. Again. Up in that duck hunting. It's not really a blind, but whatever that is up there. Um, yeah, that's him trying to manage some anxiety, I guess. Yeah, but you had mentioned that he had kind of in that just when things were as low as they could be, we see that just amazing shot, that wide shot of him just Charlie Brown slumping his way across the screen as everything is closing in on him. And he just drops all of his cards in that kind of vacant lot outside of the piping company, uh, which was just like the lowest of the low. And so seeing him... Once again, he has a moment of alone time and he's just kind of like practicing a card trick. It kind of makes you think that there's he's found a sliver of hope again. Right. That's a good point. Actually, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're totally right. That's it's a it's a clever device because it's like we know that he's got a lot of shit going on internally. Um, But when you see those cards out, it's a sort of outward manifestation of him trying to somehow manage anxiety. Um, but you're right. He's only he he's only trying to manage it if he's in a mildly hopeful place or mm-hmm. relatively for him hopeful place, because otherwise he's just like nothing matters, uh, you know. Um, so the breakfast thing doesn't work. I already mentioned sort of John and Birdbath kind of broing down and uh, it basically the, you know, Tom kind of Tom says to John. Like, well, there's always the Dick Cheney option, the go shoot the guy in the face option. And I, if I remember right, the episode basically ends. With John's like walking towards Leslie and we have a sense that he has made the decision that he's going to need to shoot Leslie. And that's the uh, end of the episode. They made a point of saying uh, of showing that John doesn't know who Dick Cheney is. Why do you think they made that, I, that was, artistic decision? I, I don't know because, like, it's de- it had to be intentional because, I mean, they grew up in Texas. I know Dick Cheney isn't originally from Texas, right. but, like, listen, listen uh, whatever. I, I'm not to bled, blend my real life into this, talk about this fictional, the lives of these of these people in the show, but I Dick Cheney shot the guy in Texas. I went to Texas to cover the story, Corpus Christi area. Like, 
what what do you think is the what's the what are they trying to say about John that he's it's a vice president of the United States and you want to talk about war criminals I mean uh, all around notorious and I would say bad dude how has John not heard of him Yeah I don't know and it's it's like. And it's so deliberately written in. As the viewer, you're kind of frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, what? This guy who's been a spy for the federal government? I right. guess maybe – I guess he's too young. He wouldn't have ever maybe operated. I don't think it's impossible that he would have. But, okay, let's say that he never operated during that administration. and He would have come in during the Obama administration. But at that level of, of the secrets that he's in on, the government secrets that he's in on, like how would you not know – who the former president and vice president are like he's not that young you almost get angry at the show like well that doesn't make sense yet the show did not have to write that in it's not like some yes. something that slips by and it's like oh it's they wrote it in because it would be funny for some punchline for some joke and oh it doesn't jibe with what we know about the character but ah, the audience won't know like there aren't mistakes like that in this show for some reason they really wanted to write in that john doesn't know who dick cheney is i don't remember that playing into anything else in the show or about what we know about John. The only thing, and this is just a wild stab. The only thing I could, and by the way, maybe someday we'll have the honor of talking to Stephen Conrad and finding out why. Yeah. Remember that, that one. Yeah. Remember that question. But, but um, the only thing I could think of is maybe, you know, he, he's undergone such trauma that maybe there are blank spots in his memory. Oh, um, Although they don't really – it doesn't seem like there's a bunch of big things he doesn't remember. But one of the things that happens when you go through trauma, like being tortured and all the other stuff, is you know memory loss, both short and long-term memory can be affected by that. So maybe – but I mean that would be a a weird way to get at that. And it's not like he's – every episode forgets some famous person. It would be kind of Mm -hmm. a one-off. Yeah, exactly. That's why I can't. It didn't occur to me. Should I just um, should I just Google it? See if people have asked this question on Reddit. I'm not seeing anything oh. here. I should have looked this up before the show. Um, well, okay, here it is. How could any American, much less someone with a congressman brother and an undercover dad, not know who Dick Cheney is? Um, what's the symbolism behind that? Says <laughs> Mia YYZ. And don't worry, Jello and Cookies is here with an answer. I figured it's because he's been on the job the whole time, like those flashbacks where he was captured, so he's not on the up and up with the latest news. Cheney, somebody else says, but Cheney was the Veep for eight years. Uh, and somebody else says it's related to his white room torture, so which is kind ah. of close to what you're saying. So anyway, yeah. no real answers there. But I'm with you that, like, if there's any show that's going to get credit from me or get the benefit of the doubt, it's this show. Because there's, mm-hmm. there's just no way that the, that's that, that happened intentionally uh, for some reason, reasons that maybe we don't understand and may never understand. But, but I'm going to give them credit for it being intentional. Yeah, because, again, um, it's not because it doesn't serve any other purpose. It's just a detail that they put in there on its face. It's weird. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it what did I miss? What what else jumped out at you about this episode? Um, I think that's basically it. I mean, the um I forgot how much I really loved the that investigation scene or I'm sorry, the interrogation scene with uh John and Aget. Uh honestly, my memory is so bad that at the end of the last episode when we thought uh that or I guess at the end of the last episode when John says to her 
I've I'm, been lying or whatever. Yeah, I've been lying, whatever it is. I couldn't remember. Does he spill his guts to her? And then, um, <laughs> but I was like, I feel like I'd remember that. And so I felt like the payoff in this episode was really good. And they really took their time with that scene too and interspersed it with other things and, and cut to show other things. I really thought it was a really powerful kind of open of the show kind of the first half of the show the way and also the way they're using the um the deposition tape almost as a previously Uh on is really clever yeah 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 you know um uh, per usual i wish that uh, even though i know this would make the show wouldn't really work or wouldn't have the dramatic tension it does but i just keep wanting john to just tell even like to somebody like i get like (laughs) I am trying to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, uh, which, of course, if she can't verify his credentials, maybe she just thinks he's mentally ill at that point. But it's like, you know, it's like nothing that John is doing is selfishly motivated. He's not enriching himself. He's he is he is 100 percent trying to keep the most number of people alive on planet Earth that he can by keeping this nuclear thing from happening, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the fact that he's constantly sort of, quote unquote, in trouble for it or in trouble for the repercussions of it. Is just like it bums me out. It feels so unjust, and yeah. uh, I, I would I would love it if he did spill his guts to Aget. I don't know what her response would be, and I don't, also don't really know what the. I guess the danger would be that then just one more government basically knows about this, and that's not how this is supposed to work. Well, I also think that the U.S. government would deny it. Sure, they would ah, deny that point. this is an operation that's happening because they don't know that it's an operation that's happening. It's not legal. Right. Exactly the way that Claudia Schiffer denies that she's my girlfriend. Is that true? That is such a weird. Well, she would. Why? Why would you? I've never heard you reference Claudia Schiffer before. I can still surprise you. Is this just like a weird, years is this a weird childhood obsession you had with this no, the leggy just... supermodel? As David Honestly, Letterman, I was just her? thinking. I was just thinking of a supermodel, and I stopped knowing the names of any supermodels <laughs> at age 14, and I only knew about the ones that made their way into the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And so it was either going to be Elle McPherson or Claudia Schiffer. I feel really like what it came down to. I, I only know her from, like, David Letterman introducing her as leggy supermodel Claudia Schiffer. Really? Yeah. For some, oh, for some reason, that just sticks in my head. Because I think I was a kid, I, and I was I, like, I've never heard that phrase before. Well, I can promise you that she would deny we're dating. Yes. But I just want you to know it's because it's under deep cover. Right, right. Extremely right. deep cover. Um, this is a weird, like, I'm asking you to speculate on something that you actually sort of know the answer to. So it's, I don't know what kind of hypo- hypothetical verse we would be going into. But, like, do you think Aget bought what John said in the interview? I don't think so, but I think she's confused. Here's Here's how I saw that scene. I feel like she has a gut instinct that she's gotten got, like in this interview, that she lost this particular game of Rochambeau, that she doesn't necessarily believe him, but now she has to puzzle this out more, which I think that, you know, she wants to seal up the case, but I think she also loves solving puzzles, and I think that she kind of likes Uh this challenge now. I think there's a little bit of that in her, but I also think that... I think she sees this as a little bit of a setback, but she's still got it. I don't think that she totally believes John. Yeah, I don't think she totally believes him, but I do think that his approach has a certain uh, sort of genius to it, as we've already talked about, because he is he is wisely he's he's telling lies that do sort of connect up with true events. Mm-hmm. So I think it's throwing her a little bit because I he just come in and just 
100% lied, then she's got him. But he's he's referencing things that really did happen. And I do think that it's kind of like, I think it's sort of, she's she, she kind of stuns her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stunned is a good word, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I guess that is... That is going to be if you do you want to do another ten minutes on the first ten minutes of episode ten because I've got that fresh <laughs> in my mind. No, but I do want to make a little bit of a, a bit of a show. I don't know announcement or a little business here um, because we're Uh-oh. talking. We have one episode left of this season. And I just want to let everybody know that we're going to take a little break between seasons. We don't have any specific dates set right now, but um, things are in full swing with uh, various other projects. So I think it's going to be probably at least a few months. Right, we're going to take a break of probably a few months before we come back for season two i don't know i'm not sure exactly it'll kind of have to do with our schedules and obviously 90 percent of the people listening to this know that we also do tbtl and that i do that live wire gig and you've got other podcasts as well so it's definitely we will definitely do season two because this has been a great experience i would say doing this i mean people when we were Recently touring the country for TBTL, a lot of people referenced Macmillan Men to me and referenced how much they were enjoying the TV show. Um, and, and as I said, I, as I think I was saying to those people, and as I'm sure I've said to you both on this program and, and just in when we're driving around or talking, I think that Patriot is going to really have a moment. I think it's starting. It's, it, I think, you know, I don't, I don't mean we launched its moment, <laughs> but I think we kind of, I think that that we tapped into some larger cosmic energy around this show where I'm just noticing more and more people are talking about it. The comedian Paul F. Tompkins, who I kind of sort of know, is a fan. I'm seeing I'm just seeing a lot of people who whose opinion I, I sort of trust on things saying, oh, the best show no one's watching is Patriot. Um, I think it's going to be almost in the way that like I think the big Lebowski, you know, came and went in theaters and then. At some point, a couple of years later, it sort of all of a sudden became a thing. I feel like Patriot's going to be one of those things, and I feel like we're at the very beginning stages of it. Wasn't Seth Meyers also tweeting about Patriot recently? Yeah, I just found it here. Seth Seth Meyers tweeted out, this is earlier this year. If I can be at all helpful here, Patriot is an incredible show and everyone should watch it. Um, you know what show it reminds me of? None of them, because it is totally unique. Okay, tell me wow. when season three is done, is what he said. Well, he never got his season Well, three. that's what I've been kind of wondering about. Like, I think it would be, um, it would be overly... Uh, optimistic uh, or, or polishing our own apple a little too hard to uh, you don't want to do that you'll go blind um, mm-hmm. to think that we would actually be part of uh, like the the move for a reboot of the show but I do think or, or I guess an extension of the show but I kind of do think that like if this if 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 everyone if a whole bunch of people start to kind of all of a sudden be like hey what is up with this show this show is really good and if the right people get excited about it I don't know. I could see them shooting a season three. I mean, I guess they'd have to – everybody who's working on Perpetual, Perpetual Grace uh, Limited and the other Stephen Conrad projects, they'd have to sort of gather everybody back together. But I would not be shocked if it turned out that this thing got a season three after all of this. I'm happy to actually even – this is – maybe bigger than we should get into right now, but I'd be happy to like kind of help raise the funds and fund it myself. Yeah. But the thing is I need complete creative control. And I need to play the Dennis character, and I will be playing a (laughs) lot more shirtless scenes as Dennis. So as long as all... Yeah, go ahead. Can I introduce you to a concept called the keto diet? (laughs) Can I introduce you to a concept called rewriting a character to fit the new actor? 
and I will be birdbath. <laughs> I'll stop putting my I'll start stop putting my hair powder in, and I'll uh-huh. really really lean into my heavy carb lifestyle, and I'll be I'll be a birdbath in 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 minutes. Yeah, you got to grow your hair out a little bit though. Yeah, grow it out on the sides, but let the top really do its thing. I'll stop all of my various uh, machinations to try to hang on to what's left on top of my head. All right, so uh, that's it for this episode, penultimate. It's bittersweet. It I'm, is. I'm excited that we're going to, that that we'll, it's exciting that we've actually, by next week, we'll have done the whole first season, but also uh, kind of sad. I'll tell you this. What, when it's time to watch, to rewatch an episode, it's like anything. It's the reason I don't go to the movies, because setting aside an hour and a half of my life feels so hard to do. I'm just like, I don't have time. Of course, I'll while away four hours just hitting refresh on Twitter. <laughs> so it's not that my time is that valuable. It's that the idea of my time is weird in my head. Mm-hmm. And so there are certainly, you know, the night before we're going to do this, I'm always like, oh, I got to block out an hour for the show and I got to ma- pay attention and I, you know, all that stuff. And then I'm always just delighted when I'm in the midst mm-hmm. of watching the show. Yeah, it always flies yeah. by too. Also, by the way, not. <laughs> What a dumb thing that we're turning to real Scott Aukerman's here. His first question for everybody when they have a new movie or TV show or comedy special is how long is it? Um, but I actually like the <laughs> le- <laughs> I love it. Uh, but I really like the length of these. You know, some of the episodes are literally 45 minutes, 42 minutes uh, for episode number two. Um, yeah. They just like this is the story that we want to tell. There's very little fat in here. They're not extending it for special. Like I was just looking now. Are they going to make episode 10 like a 90 minute special? And they don't seem to ever be tempted to do that like a game of thrones or something you know they're just like no we're going to tell the story that needs to be told and think about how hard that must be because you know they've shot a lot of stuff you know there's stuff mm-hmm. that didn't make it into the final cut and you know that it's probably well written it's well acted it's like you know there are there's there's very little that doesn't work about this show and so you can assume that the stuff that got cut out was also funny and interesting and and unique and all of that and yeah what i mean considering that it's not broadcast television i mean holy moly we do hours and hours and hours a week of podcasting you and i almost none of it is necessary in fact i'm gonna say none of it is necessary (laughs) and we can't and we can't shut up because we have more or less unlimited time and if you convened everyone you blocked out that butcher shop or whatever the location was you everybody showed up early they set up the lights and the cameras you wrote the script you edited the script they practiced the script you tweaked it you filmed it it was like you did all that work and then you were like yeah but you know what this is going to be a 42 minute episode because that's what we think is what it needs that's an incredible restraint i would not have that restraint yeah in fact i'm looking uh, next season uh they go down there's one there's an episode that's 37 minutes long Wow. Yeah, and others are... Or they're very lazy. Or they're just lazy jerks. Um, It looks like the longest is just under an hour. I think that'll be uh, the one we watch next week. Wow. All right. Well, um, that's going to be the plan for next week. We'll bring you episode 10 uh, of of season one. Uh, All right. Thanks for listening. I never get tired of asking this question. Do we have a special ending for this? You say double great, and I don't say anything. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's keep it. Let's uh, try to keep everything on the double great side of life, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Close the things that close. (laughs) Write down the things that should be written down. Burbank. Secret agent man. Secret agent man. They've given you a number. And taken away your name